Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the boats and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head. Norm, it's not just a fresh new year of elections and politics, but with it come what I would say is is an incredible amount of uh, consternation about what is unfolding both inside our domestic United States as well as outside. So I'm very very excited to to dive into our next topic. But first of all, Norm, how are you doing? I know I know you're about to take a stretch to the West Coast, but uh, how how has uh, how has your January been unfolding? <laughs> um, well, I had some uh, prostate surgery, so I'm still dealing with uh, that. But mostly, uh, that's nothing serious. Um, mostly, I'm trying to deal with. Uh, the continuing turmoil and threats that we face to our fundamental democracy and railing against uh, all kinds of bad actors, including, I should say, NBC News, which uh, basically, after we learned that the Trump White House was basically a giant drug dispensary, thanks to Dr. Ronnie Jackson and others, including uh, distributing fentanyl around the White House. And NBC News does a piece that basically says, uh, in administrations before Joe Biden, there was a drug problem. Uh, So we're still dealing with the false equivalence 
the uh, putting Biden's name into the headline of this story on uh, the uh, Trump administration's uh, drug-addled White House. Uh, and uh, that's uh, kind of giving me more spilkes, uh, as they say, than uh, any So I've got to be honest with you. So Ronnie Jackson was around kind of at the tail end of Obama and and, and and distributed some and, drugs and I gotta, there too. I, I got to tell you because the OIG report, the Inspector General report, that kind of highlighted a lot of this. I have to say, a lot of people were like, "Hey, why is there ketamine? Why is there you know what what on earth do like White House dispensaries need to keep these drugs on on like in inventory at all?" And I, I've been trying to come up with a lot of good excuses. I have none for what they describe as like the parting yep. gift of ProVigil, which is a drug that's used appropriately when appropriately used, used for um, yeah. ADHD, of which there's like a growing kind of pediatric and adult population. But I have to say like that was also, yes, and not just the NBC News reporting, but I have to say like a lot of us who worked in the White House were like, hey, wait a minute. Do you remember all these drugs kind of being you know handed around? And I will say that there were a lot of people, both Obama and Trump, that said, yeah, I remember that this was like available to us, you know, so to speak. And so I, I, uh, I smile because I agree with you. There's like yet again an administration before Joe Biden here to not which to be named. But yes, it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite funny. I thought for a moment you were going to say that you went ahead and had prostate surgery just so that you and Lloyd Austin would have something in common. But I, I suspect. <laughs> it's no, it's King and Charles. King Charles, yes, uh, King Charles, Lloyd Austin, yeah. and Norm Ornstein. Norm, you still you still rank the best out of that list. But I'm 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 I was thinking <laughs> you wanted to kind of you know kind of commiserate uh, with with your your fellow leaders. And uh, uh, I'm not going to commiserate no, with Lloyd no, Austin. Man, I think the idea, and he had prostate cancer he did. He surgery. Did. He did. Uh, he had surgery uh, for cancer. I did so, not. Yes, that is true. Yeah, but. You know, to imagine that you're going in for prostate cancer surgery and you do not notify the president or anybody yeah. else while yeah. we have uh, conflicts going on around the world in yeah. which we are engaged. Yeah. A little weird. Um, that is, I mean, I wouldn't fire him, but I would sure read little, him the riot little, act. little strange. I might, I might so go far as yeah. to say, yeah, that's, that's kind of messed up. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Well, we certainly have no shortage of things to talk about. I alluded to it in our segue around domestic United States. I say that very pointedly because as someone who like lived um, kind of in and around the border between Texas and Mexico, uh, this has been an incredibly volatile situation. We discussed it on our recent, our last pod with our very good friend, David Rothkoff. And I think it's worth continuing to kind of sort through like who, what, when, and where. Norm, let's talk very pragmatically. And I'm going to do a little bit of like, you know, where are we in the history of what has been going on at the border? So here's just a little bit in order to bring myself to some history, because we talk about words mattering. I wanted to just kind of highlight like what is going on. I'm going to just start with what I think had gotten a lot of media attention this month around the drowning of at least three um, migrants, one woman with two children from Mexico at the U.S.-Mexico border, border on January 14th. And it magnified, I think, 
this happened after what I think, Norm, you and I can only describe as literally decades of just evident, you know, kind of like the ups and downs between Texas and federal officials around like what I call the Rio Grande kind of valley. It's like a three mile stretch of the U.S.-Mexico border. This is not just the only kind of um, epicenter of the migrant crisis. You can go all along the border in Arizona, et cetera. But I highlight this January 14th um, drowning just because I think it just, it, it in my mind, and you should talk about how you put this into context, it brought out all the like ugly dynamics that I think have been going on, as I mentioned, for decades. Basically, like the Mexican officials told the Border Patrol around January 13th, we believe, of two migrants who are in distress on the United States side of the river. And and this is all from the Biden administration's Supreme Court filings. And, and that the Mexican officials also informed U.S. Border Patrol that three migrants, one woman, two children, had already drowned in that same area. And it was impossible to say, like, kind of like then what transpired, but that Border Patrol had access, what, you know, if, because Texas held firm in not allowing Border Patrol to access the border, even for an emergency, this is where the Solicitor General, Elizabeth Prilligar, basically said, like, imagine, if you will, that if the U.S. Border Patrol had been allowed to assist in many aspects, including monitoring that area, we wouldn't have lost lives for no reason. Anyhow, all of this to kind of then play forward, not only Supreme Court action, but what I think has been now very clearly a kind of a distress call from governors and on the sympathetic side of me, and I'm going to ask you to also then insert your con- context here on the on the sympathetic side of someone who like, you know, you're, if you're working for any governor, doesn't matter if it's Greg Abbott or who it is, you're trying to to wrestle with, all right, we've just got like to keep peace on the border. We want to keep people who live in border communities from freaking out because that's what's happening, that all of these things, you know, these migrants are dangerous, and they're all going to kill people. And so you're trying to just keep local peace. At the same time, you're dealing with Greg Abbott basically saying, like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I need to do, Joe Biden, you get, you know, basically get out of my land. And, and then you have Joe Biden in the background, along with a campaign running for reelection, along with what you have, the other candidate, Donald Trump saying, we're going to do everything possible to clean up this mess that Joe Biden created. All right. So this doesn't accurately bring us to everything, but I'm trying to color a picture Fill in the blanks, Norm. Tell us what what else our listeners need to know, and talk about the reaction from governors and and how this crisis is continuing to spiral. So there are really two elements to this, Kavita. The first is the genuine problems that exist at the border, and I am old enough to remember going back when my friend Alan Simpson and my other friend Ron Mazzoli cut a deal uh, that had followed on previous immigration reform bills, and they all had the same components. We are going to create a path for amnesty and path to citizenship for people who have come here uh, who are undocumented. And we're going to toughen up at the border so that we don't 
create this situation where people feel free to just come in. We uh, need to have control over who we bring in. But that was also combined with a belief that we ought to expand legal immigration. And a part of it, too, was, frankly, that you have people who have followed the procedures, waited for years, and then you have others who don't follow who manage to get in. Uh, and every uh, attempt at immigration reform has tried to create that balance in the past. And that includes a bipartisan bill, which was crafted in significant part by Lindsey Graham back when he was trying to be a constructive uh, lawmaker. He did work on climate change and on immigration. And we had a bill that passed the Senate with almost uh, three quarters of senators supporting it in a bipartisan way, and it died in the House. And it died in the House for two reasons, House Republicans. One was they're nativist. They don't like immigrants. They didn't want to do anything except punish immigrants. And two, they saw a political issue that worked to their advantage. And I would add here as well, you talk about toughening the border, but back in the day when we had previous immigration reforms, a lot of the people who came here who were undocumented came in by air or sea on uh, tourist visas and just stayed. You know, back in the days when we had um, controversies like Zoe Baird faced uh, at the beginning of the Clinton administration when she had to withdraw the nomination as attorney general because she had a, a, a child care person, a nanny, who uh, was undocumented. And, you know, that there were a lot of those back then. But there's always been a problem uh, in uh, terms of a huge southern border, and it's almost impossible to completely police it. So you've got those factors. Now, what do we have? You know, a couple of decades ago, or even a decade ago, when I was at the American Enterprise Institute, the conservatives and the Republican Party were all pro-immigration. The belief was that people coming in wanted to come here for the right reasons. They wanted a better life for their families. They wanted to work hard. And they were contributing to a workforce that needed them for jobs that a lot of Americans didn't want to take. That's gone now. And you have a Republican Party led by Donald Trump that hates immigrants and that wants to cut back not just on illegal uh, immigration, but legal uh, immigration as well. And you have real problems that create a political advantage for Republicans. Now, some of those real problems are enormous instability in Central American and South American countries bad economic times, but also countries where gangs and uh, thugs are dominant, drug gangs and others in El Salvador, in Mexico and other places, horrible governance in Venezuela, and people flee fearing for their lives, many of them having a very legitimate case for asylum, but all that's out. Now, take it to another level too, which is I can have some modest sympathy for governance in Texas, where which is the epicenter, where you have huge numbers of people coming over and no easy way to accommodate them. 
And that's the fault of the federal government going back before the Trump administration, but where we would have these horrible, inadequate facilities for people coming in run by uh, groups like the GEO Group, which are uh, under investigation and continue to be for forced labor, um, taking immigrants and basically farming them out to meatpacking plants and others where they get paid seven cents an hour and these companies make a fortune, keeping them in inhuman conditions. Uh, but what we also know is that Greg Abbott, who is an, a sadistic, monstrous governor of Texas, has done two things that are just unconscionable. The first is he has shipped migrants coming in in the middle of winter to Chicago with no adequate clothing, saying, you deal with them and let them freeze to death if you don't like it. And that's creating political problems in Chicago. We see them going to New York They've as been well. here. I've been taking care of, pe we've had people, not just from Florida and Texas, but the condition with which, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't help it. I will tell you a story about um, the conditions with which people are coming off of the buses. Still, still, if anyone wants to, 10 a.m., 2 p.m. on many days, right in front of Union Station. Uh, and, and a lot of us volunteer to kind of do like, at least I am part of like a medical triage. And, and it is not just criminal, it's, it, it violates like every human ethical principle. So it has nothing to do with law. It's like basic human decency. And so, yes, it is, it is a very real problem that like we think somehow we can just kind of export and that'll quote, keep the peace when, you know, what's, what are we keeping peace from and, and from who and to whom? And yet I don't hear that outcry. I don't, I don't know. You, I don't know, Norm, you tell me where is, where is the outrage in forms of a solution? Is that what Chris Murphy's kind of bringing to the table? Something that we know not has zero chance of getting signed into law. What is, where's the like outrage from leadership? There is none. Or, or what am I missing? No, there is none. And, you know, what's happening is that uh, mayors in big cities are struggling with this because they don't have housing uh, for people. Um, and, and we've seen Ron DeSantis basically kidnap Venezuelan migrants in Texas, get them to Florida, put them on a private plane where uh, he used taxpayer money to benefit some of his cronies and sent them to Martha's Vineyard, all as a political gesture. Where is our Justice Department and not charging people with kidnapping and human trafficking? Uh, and we see the same with Greg Abbott sending them on buses to Washington and to uh, Chicago and to New York. Um, this is horrific. Now, what Chris Murphy has done working with uh, Republican Jim Langford and uh, with people from the administration uh, is at one level, very commendably trying to find a way to reach a consensus or to get at least a bill to deal with what is a genuine problem at the border. Lots of people trying to come here. Um, there are international laws involving asylum seekers, but we have not put the resources into adequately caring uh, for all of this and other people just coming because they don't have money and they want a better life. Uh, but the fact is that this negotiation in the Senate was not done because 
the leaders of the two parties said, let's try and find some way of getting it together. It was Republicans in the Senate holding aid to Ukraine and Israel hostage to try and force a draconian border bill down Joe uh, Biden's throat. Uh, Now, they've managed to reach a deal, but we know even before Donald Trump talked about this, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson said, we're not going to do anything on the border while Joe Biden is president. And basically, we want the issue. And uh, they've unmasked themselves. And now Trump, who'd also said that he hoped the economy would collapse during this year, never mind the human cost, it might be a little political advantage, uh, has also said the same thing about the border. And it's a problem, and it's a problem that's unresolved, and it's a problem, by the way, that's even greater because one of the things that Biden proposed was a lot more money for Border Patrol to try and maintain control over the borders, and the Republicans are denying the funding. Uh, So we've got that level of problem. But now we have this confrontation, Kavita, with uh, Greg Abbott taking it to the next level, defying the law and the Constitution, putting razor wire uh, in uh, the uh, uh, river, which is why we're seeing drownings, because they can't get through. And we're seeing other people get cut and horribly injured. And the Supreme Court said, you can't do this, that the federal government, this is clear in the Constitution. The borders of the country are controlled by the federal government. And Greg Abbott's saying, here's a middle finger to the Supreme Court. Uh, What does Biden do? He's got the Texas National Guard on the border. I mean, if I had my druthers now, I would be very aggressive in the Biden White House, and I would nationalize that uh, Texas National Guard, federalize it. And I would say to Greg Abbott, if you try to block uh, the Supreme Court and uh, the federal government and violence ensues, that is on you and give him a deadline to, uh, but what makes it worse is that this defiance of the court and the constitution has been sanctioned by 25 other Republican governors, all except the governor of Vermont, and by the Speaker of the House, major figures in the Republican Party. And it's basically, we like a lot of Supreme Court decisions, but ones we don't like, to hell with you. And it'll serve our political advantage. It is outrageous. And if the administration doesn't act in some fashion, uh, then it's a, a terrible disaster for them and for the country. Yeah, it's it's. I I can't help but let me um, let me triple down on you. And maybe let's let's do this. Let's actually because something that's come um, forward in some of our incredible listeners' feedback is like, all right, we need something to do about this. We need to do like, this can't just be the country we're in. And yes, we're going to vote. And I'm sure some of our listeners are also probably already donors, already supporting campaigns, continue to do that, do more of it, get more of your friends to do it. Um, But I also think that it's worth educating other people. I think that the border and this package that Murphy's putting together, destined to fail, as you highlight, and all of its pieces you and I have worked, I've worked on immigration packages when I worked for Kennedy. I thought that was the closest we were going to get. And I still think that's probably true. Um, but but I think it's worthwhile for listeners to actually spend time to think about kind of the what's at stake here. It's not just 
hey, we're going to do yet again another turn on the immigration cycle, which is a lot of what people think, right? This is like immigration every X number of years. Let's talk about it. Republicans ignore one side, Democrats ignore the other. However, I think that this is like Trump has said it. I'd rather have, these are his words, not mine. I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. What's a bad bill? Anything that anybody else does that he doesn't do, right? And and you've got Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, who has been doing, God bless him, gun violence. Immigrate, the guy is like ready to take on every third rail known to mankind. I'm waiting for him to, I'm waiting him for next take on social security. Sounds good. But he's basically kind of saying like, look, who's, who, are, who are Republicans listening to? Are they going to listen to the Republicans in the Senate? Like Jim Lankford, Oklahoma who actually has said, I hope Senate Republicans ignore Trump, follow through on the deal. Lankford said, I hope they actually, do, you know, I oh, just, you know, it's interesting a few months later, we're going to get to the end and they're going to say, oh, I don't want to change the law because it's a presidential election year, which is exactly what we know is happening. Or do you deal with, I think, as you're pointing out, Norm, like Biden, who is also in, in effect, feels like he's sitting on his own hands too. And we'll get into our members only pod soon about some of how this overlaps significantly with what has also been a tragedy, ongoing tragedy in the Middle East, but with the most recent set of tragedies around American lives taken by Iranian backed drone and, and not just now many, many layers of that. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, what I wanted to what I what I wanted to say is then you have the White House spokesperson saying, "Well, it's on Congress to get the deal to the president's desk." Like this is like I mean, what is Joe Biden supposed to do? Like it's on Congress to do that. I think that it's very critical for our listeners. I am one of these people that I will say I tend to look at domestic policy and get really outraged. I don't look enough at like what's happening around us to us. And I would actually say that for those of you, I'm going to ask you, Norm, when you try to kind of get smart on immigration, I go to a couple of resources. One of them is called the Immigration Forum, great nonprofit, puts out a lot of like, I would call it an immigration think tank. Um, how can listeners get smarter and wiser? There's another, there are some like great blogs that kind of highlight stories from the border. I would love like to see if like you have any other ideas. I think this is one area where knowledge is going to be critical because it's going to be very easy to listen, even to Joe Biden saying, get a, get a bill to my desk. Actually, that's not good enough. Like none of this is good enough. So can you, can you give our listeners, are there some good resources that you turn to people you read things we should do and, and kind of channel this like outrage as well as maybe support for Chris Murphy while he's trying to get this through the Senate. So uh, I, I don't have better resources than you've mentioned. The Immigration Forum is a good one. And I, you know, uh, read as much as I can where I can see it. I, I'd like to make two points before we get off this topic, though, uh, Kavita. One is uh, about uh, the jobs in the country. We have a very tight labor market. There are a lot of jobs that most Americans don't want to take that have been filled by immigrants. As we have seen this crackdown, what's happening in some of these states run by Republicans? They're easing child labor laws. They're taking 13 and 14 year olds, 
putting them into meatpacking plants and other places. We're seeing young kids die. This is taking us back to the era well before the New Deal. And it's happening because of their anti-immigration stance. Now, we should also note that the uh, Trump people have made it very clear what they would do if Trump becomes president. And it is to move to deport all uh, undocumented people in the country and to send them first to concentration camps. This is not an exaggeration. It's what Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon have said. It would devastate America's economy. It would be utterly inhuman. It would be fascist in nature. But what's also true is that the 11 or 12 million or however many undocumented people we have in the country, they also want to deport those born in the United States who are, in fact, American citizens under our Constitution, uh, is that the people who are here are working, they're paying taxes, they're paying into the Social Security and Medicare system, and to take them out of it would be devastating to everybody else in the country uh, and to our own pocketbooks. So uh, the level of inhumanity here, but the unwillingness of the administration and the White House to be proactive in this front, to be, as you said, passive, saying we're just waiting for a bill to come to our desk, to let a governor flaunt the Constitution and the Supreme Court and flout uh, these orders uh, without doing anything is, uh, to my mind, bad policy and bad politics. You know, the, the critique of Biden, he's too old, he's, you need a president who's out there actively confronting these issues. And even if it's a little risky, you cannot let Greg Abbott get away with this. And we need uh, some proactive steps here. This sense that a president is just not going to take this crap. Can you also just um, one thing to highlight? Um, are we, is there something on the Supreme Court? I just had tip of the toe mentioned before we close this part of our pod and move to our members only section, plug to join if you haven't already. Um, I know we've been talking in other pods about the role of the Supreme Court and obviously bringing this kind of border issue to the Supreme Court, previous rulings on kind of the, that the court has made around immigration. Anything on your radar for this year, things that you want listeners to kind of be aware of that could play into this as well? Um, I'm just not aware. And sometimes while we're, while we're discussing this, I was trying to see if I'm missing anything that we think might come out this summer that could also weigh in on this? Anything come to mind, Norm, that we should be aware of? Well, uh, there are a couple of things on the Supreme Court. The first is what the court did in this case with Texas and the wire is to uh, eliminate an injunction that kept the feds from intervening. It was clear-cut constitutional law. Uh, it's right there in the Constitution. Four justices, the right-wing justices, voted against, which is a harbinger of bad things to come. And there are a couple of cases to keep an eye on. The first, uh, there are three cases to keep an eye on. Uh, the uh, first is going to be uh, about immunity. We're waiting and we're, we still have not had a ruling from this three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit. I don't know why it's taking so long, 
But the question of whether we can move to a relatively expeditious trial uh, in Washington of Trump uh, for inciting the violent insurrection, um, we have to see what the court will do on immunity. It's hard for me to imagine that even this Supreme Court is going to say a president has absolute immunity. Um, you remember the argument in the three judge panel um, when uh, Trump's lawyer said that uh, a president could uh, tell uh, uh, SEAL Team Six to go out and assassinate a political opponent, and that would be okay, that the only option would be to impeach and convict him. Uh, the second case moving forward is whether Trump is eligible to be on the ballot. And we have uh, Colorado and Maine that are bringing cases uh, under the 14th Amendment, and they are very likely to find some way to keep him on the ballot, even though the Constitution is pretty clear on this too. But the third, and one that's not getting enough attention yet, is what they do with the Chevron Doctrine. And this is basically that uh, as long as federal agencies and regulatory uh, agencies follow the procedures in the Administrative Procedures Act when they do regulations, that you give them a lot of latitude because Congress is not going to cover every contingency out there, whether it's on the environment or public health and safety uh, or in almost any other area. And we have a court that is poised to eliminate that doctrine and to basically say that agencies are powerless to act unless it's explicitly authorized by Congress in the law, which, uh, given where Congress is now, means a, a paralysis in the federal government. Business would love this. It would remove regulations against them. It would lead to a wild, wild west. It would hamper the CDC when the next uh, pandemic comes around. It would make it impossible to do anything about securities fraud. Uh, it, it would uh, have horrible implications all over the place. And we're likely to see that ruling soon. Wow. This is, um, depressing. It's not the word for it, but, uh, <laughs> I'm going to end on the note of, let me yeah. say that, you know, four justices, uh, setting the tone, <laughs> at least we found five that thought that cutting razor wire that killed people is like something noble yeah. to do, but okay. Sounds I'm going to look on that side of things, but you're right. But I do want to encourage people to continue to educate themselves because I think in this instance, we have an incredibly, incredibly educated listenership, but I, I would argue that this is one of those unique moments where it's not possible to kind of keep up to speed on all of this. And I'm just going to give another shout out to SCOTUS blog. As you were talking, I thought that's a good place to kind of keep apprised of a more detailed analysis around like the emergency docket on the razor wire for the instance I was describing. And I had, um, had gotten the date wrong. It was January 12th when the actual drowning and dis and kind of all of the events unfolded. It was on the 14th that I think reporting started to break out and then quickly um, in the parallel fashion, legal action from the Biden administration took place. But I, I want to highlight that this isn't the first last or only instance where there has been um, the need for federal's, federal appeals court or for the solicitor general and the Biden administration to step in to actually like help to aid any any of any of like what's happening not just along the border but as you pointed out, Norm, what's happening in all of our backyards because 
migrants are exactly what like the fabric of our country was built upon. And we're not, we are, we are doing all of our citizens, those who are currently in the United States and those who hope to dream to become citizens, a disservice by not having a more productive conversation around immigration. And none of what we're seeing is productive except to save maybe what Chris Murphy's desperately trying to do. So that's the other piece that any of you who can do anything possible to send Murphy's office, even sometimes the phone call, phone banking of support can to any of your senators to say that you, no matter where you live, kind of support um, the Senate taking action and you support Chris Murphy's immigration package. That'll, that'll go a long way. It doesn't seem like it, but it will. So that's something people can take away and do today and get educated. And I want to thank Norm, always thanking you, but it, Thank our incredible and talented executive producer, Chris Cottonoir for the DSR Network and our wonderful podcast producer for Words Matter, Riley Fessler. If you like this episode, you can become a member. It is less than even cheaper. And even though the cost is going to potentially maybe in 2024 go up like many things, it'll still go up at a rate less than the inflation for which you experienced in the last two years for your latte. So we can promise you it's still going to probably be cheaper than your specialty coffee every month and a great investment that goes to support our incredible staff and crew and all of our efforts to make sure we're listening to you. Next episode of Words Matter will be in your podcast feeds in and around February 8th. And we'll see you then. 